Hi folks, Justin here, and this is the Deceptively Clever Podcast. My friend John and I met many years ago at university, and now we call each other once a week to lie about historically significant objects. It works like this. One person gives the other an object to type into their internet search engine of choice. They are only allowed to look in the images, no peeking in the articles or captions. The first person then introduces the thing before giving three key statements about their object. One of these statements is a complete lie. I'm sure you can figure out what comes next. This one is about a body in a box. Are you ready to do my anecdote? I'm very excited about this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready to do your anecdote. Okay, John. Right, buckle up. Remember a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about Annabelle trying to mess with my Sunday on the Hinge dating app? Yeah, the absolutely appalling uh, messaging and trying to ruin your perfect Sunday. I'm very aware. Yes, that's basically exactly how that went. Well, I went back (laughs) into the app uh, last, last week. And I had left it on visible. I don't, I don't know why. I didn't really mean to. But I had a match and I kind of wasn't really paying attention. Eventually, I opened it up and I realized that someone had responded to one of my prompts. And the prompt was, teach me something about, and my answer was, bees or trees. <laughs> Can you see where this is going, John? Sure. I'll read out the response to that prompt. Tassie is home to the world's tallest flowering plant, eucalyptus regnans, also known as mountain ash. I know nothing about bees, sorry. (laughs) Old mate has come in and dropped Centurion in the dating app. Yes. So I assume that the wedding bells are already ringing. I haven't matched with them. Oh, come on. But I feel like Centurion, Centurion as a concept, as an icon. I know, yeah as a uniting force, exists in Tasmania. Maybe you should just reply with the podcast episode. Oh, that's exactly what I'm planning on doing. Yeah, and then she knows exactly. And then there we go, we've, we've branched out already, our, our listeners. Yes, it's, that. I mean... Pardon the pun. I feel like the... Very good. I feel like the natural <laughs> trajectory is to use dating apps as a marketing distribution ploy for the podcast. Uh, I'm not sure my girlfriend will be too happy about that, but that's okay. You don't have to do it. (laughs) We'll put it in Michaela's bio. We'll get everyone in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Is your search engine ready? My search engine is ready. Okay. We're typing in Jeremy Bentham Auto Icon. Jeremy Bentham Auto Icon. Yes. When that comes up, give us a little description of what you see. I see what looks like terrifying mannequin in a box. It looks like a man in a big hat sat down with his walking stick. It looks like he's just chilling out in a box. I feel like that's all I can describe. <laughs> You've described it pretty well. It is a figure that looks kind of like a person sitting in a wooden box with a glass door. Yeah. Dressed in early 19th century clothing. Yeah. This is the body of Jeremy Bentham, 
incredibly well-known philosopher and founding father of University College London. Bentham lived from 1770 until 1832. He's most well-known for formulating utilitarianism, which is a school of philosophical thought that generally advocates for the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. That's what I'm familiar with him from. I remember learning about that in uh, secondary school. Yeah, yeah, pretty important. It's not something that is very widespread now Yeah, as a, as a concept. It has a lot of problems, generally neglects people that are quite vulnerable. Also, it just has a lot of flaws. Um, but at its time, it was incredibly revolutionary. He was a very disruptive thinker. He also advocated for things like separation of church and state, um, some ideas that would then become welfareism. He was very pro the abolishment of slavery, capital punishment, uh, prison reform. He was a very early proponent of animal rights, which is a cause close to my own heart. But he died in 1832, and he had left instructions for his body to be dissected for science. (laughs) <laughs> and then preserved as an auto-icon, which the results of, of that are now visible in Google Images. It, it looks... So that's his actual body? That is his body, so his bones are in there. After the dissection, they basically emptied, it out, emptied him out oh. and stuffed him with straw. Sat him... He, he asked to be... I don't know what his exact words were, but he asked to be clothed suitably what 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 i will say is terrifying about this i'm looking at the pictures now it is terrifying because he's got these like green gloves on that just don't match the rest of his outfit and look incredibly creepy yeah well now he's now his hands aren't in there anymore he needs some modest covering of the hands they do look a little bit limp really there's not that much of him left by this stage it's all decomposed but the the bones are definitely in there he's in a nice sitting position that is such a bold thing to have done with your body. Oh, especially at that time. Uh, so the head, he actually wanted the real head to be, go on top of the body, but the preservation method that they went with, which was a mummification process that had been successfully done in New Zealand by the Indigenous people, involved pumping air through and hovering the head over a sulfuric acid, which was supposed to get the moisture out but keep the structure intact but as you can see by the extra weird looking leathery head yeah that did not work that's definitely not a 19th century head that is a fake one isn't it so then they had to yeah they had to come up with a wax alternative um to make the body look presentable so the real head is now usually stored separate from the body but they were stored together for a while it it looks hilarious that he's in this box as well that it's just because there's there's a picture here where this box is just in the middle of like a room and he's just sat in it, sort of just quite happily chilling out. Well, for most of its modern time, it's lived in entrances to a few different university college London establishments. So he he moves about then. He he never just stays in the one room. Well, they've they've just moved him a bunch of times. The building he was in got renovated. Most of the movements that have documented well have happened in the last 40 years, but it's always been to a different UCL building. I expect that they are just completely lying about the renovation. It's just because too many people are creeped out by this because it's, it's, it's weird. 
This is a weird one. So when I was doing my research, all of the websites that I kept coming to, the Wikipedia is terrible. It's useless. It's all about his <laughs> life achievements and, you know, helping to improve the world. Barely any of it's about the body in a box. Unfortunately, and that's, that's not the most interesting thing about him anymore. I don't care about his no. philosophy. I don't care about the fact he's in a box in a university. Well, that's how I found out about him. My law professors would, more than one of them, would give a lecture and have, if there was any reason to just note on utilitarianism, they would tell a story about Jeremy <laughs> Bentham in the box. And they barely <laughs> ever talked about the philosophical concepts. Uh, yeah, when I was doing my research, I kept coming across tourist website guides for London talking about where to go and see him. I'm like, oh, who's coming to London and putting this at the top of their list? Me. Next time I go to London, I'm searching it out. Well, it's currently in the it's a UCL Student Centre. <laughs> I'm not even sure it's the, the, the law faculty anymore. So, yeah, you can definitely see it. Now, he's in a different box, unfortunately. Ooh. They said that one was no longer doing the job. Uh, any other questions before we do some statements? No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm living this subject. This is a good one. I'm excited That's for the statements. One of my favourite things to exist in the world. Yeah. Um, so I've served the statements up on a platter for you. I feel like we need to level the scores. So <laughs> statement number, uh, statement number one. The initial plan was for the box to include his wife as well, but <laughs> she changed her mind after he died, but before she died. <laughs> statement okay. number two. Statement number two. The head was stolen by students for a ransom. <laughs> okay. Statement number three. The auto icon has attended board meetings, <laughs> which Bentham was a member of during his life. <laughs> right, okay. There we go, John. The floor is yours. So let me just repeat them. So the, the initial plan was to include his wife in the box with him. He wanted a slightly larger box and he wanted to be tucked in nicely with her, yep. And that was cancelled after he died but before she did. Correct, yep. Right. Then the head was stolen by students for a ransom. Yep. And then he also attends board meetings as the auto icon. He has attended some board meetings, yes. <laughs> right, okay. This is amazing. Um, these are by far the best statements we've had i think they're going to be well to be honest they kind of write themselves like yeah (laughs) right the fact that two of these are true is is probably everything that we need to know yeah (laughs) so i'm gonna i'll run through them in order i think that's i think we need to keep some logic to this episode yeah um right so the initial plan was to include his wife okay (laughs) i don't even know how to approach it so was he put in a bigger box at, at first then I thought about this, because if you look at it, you could fit two of them in there. No, no. I'm looking at the box now. You don't think so? That, that would be a snug fit if two of them Not were in there. Not on a chair. So he didn't go straight in the box. They, For some reason, he was original will, which is quite large. I don't think there's any photos of it in here. There was a lot of instructions. So he was dissected once, and the head was removed straight away to start this thing. And there was a local doctor who wasn't too well known to him who did the initial dissection for whatever science. Then his friend, oh, during his life, was he was the main person that he wanted to dissect him. So he had a crack and did whatever he wanted to do. And part of his initial request was actually that he would still attend dinner parties with his friends. So I don't think he lived in the box for quite a while initially. This is just, this is just a major case of FOMO. Where he's just so terrified yep. that he's going to miss stuff when he's dead that he's like, here's a solution. I just won't miss it. I'll be there. 
I'll see it all. That's exactly it. He, during his life, thinking about his friends keeping, literally physically keeping him around in the room after his death. <laughs> I think he needs to listen to his own philosophical theory and work out who this favours the most. Well, it kind of works on the, the dissection level because donating your body to science wasn't very, or wasn't as common then, I'm presuming. Yeah, I can imagine that. But yeah, so he's, I didn't, I, I have not read an exact translation of the whole thing because I'd still be reading it. But the provision, he, he basically had various steps and levels to this process and he did want to be on display for anyone to be able to see him, but he wasn't put at the entrance to the law school straight away. So I would say he was in and out of various things and then this box that we see all the photos of would have been created when he went to the law school because don't have any photos from 1830. That <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Around. That's, my, that's my theory. That's how I've reconciled this one. So, so... When did his wife, how quickly did she decide that she didn't want to go in the box with him? Because I think that that would probably be something that she was keeping quiet until he was dead and then gone, absolutely not, never. Me too. She died 10 years after. She did not, at no point, did she get, uh, did she end up in the box? So I don't actually know whether <laughs> he was in this box at that time, but I got the feeling, I think her father was a vicar. I think she had, he was an atheist, she was a the daughter of a vicar, so I think she had thoughts on having a proper burial ceremony. Well, yeah, this must this this just obviously much more religious society than we live in now. This must have been such a a break from just yep. like traditional burial practices, because obviously they were all we can't we can barely even imagine a, an English atheist now, let alone yeah, it's such a like <laughs> he's like I will prove to you that God's irrelevant. Put me in a box and I'll stare at you when you question it. And he, his entire life was basically disruption, radical thinking, breaking down barriers. I can't imagine what kind of what kind of woman would have had to be married to him, but I imagine <laughs> patience was a virtue in that life. Yeah. And they wanted, no, they did recently take some of his DNA out of the head. They were looking for autism. They feel like he might have been on the on the spectrum with Asperger's. So yeah, I feel like it might have just been a case of keep Jeremy happy. Until Jeremy's dead. Do not join Jeremy the one. Keep Jeremy happy when he's alive, and then also keep Jeremy happy when he's dead as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he got what he wanted. I have to mostly. say, I'm with the wife on this one. I mean, I'm, I'm not letting someone choose what that I'm going to be put in a box after I die. I feel like there's there's not much to sort of touch on on that uh, on that statement. To be honest, I think I'm with you. I don't. I wouldn't care. Do what you want with the body, but a very small part of me is like, God, can I just die in peace? Like, can I just. <laughs> be in the ground somewhere not not being looked at but i don't actually care stick me in a box if you want john if, if there's ever a museum for the podcast and you want to put my body okay in the box, I, 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 i'd like that in writing first but i'm pretty sure that uh, i can get that done for you <laughs> okay we'll negotiate the uh, partnership agreement and i'm saying i'm saying right now i'm not going in there with you <laughs> oh. right let's let's move on to statement two definitely um so head was stolen by statement students two. Yeah. When was it stolen by students? So there's lots of very vague suggestions that it was done as a kind of tradition, traditional prank. You know, have law schools yeah. and universities have weird ceremonies. But the, there's one guaranteed incident in 1975. Um, they yeah, they stole it. They demanded a hundred pounds from UCL. And which yeah. head did they steal? The the actual badly mummified head or the wax head on top of it? The badly mummified one. For most of the time, the badly mummified head lived in a little vase and they sat it between his legs. 
So all you would have to do is open the door, grab the head. Oh, so they weren't like they weren't literally having their hands on his face. It was in the in the vase. Yeah, no, it's got a little base that it sits on oh. the glass cover. That is gross. So they just grabbed that. It's probably the most one of the most valuable things in the possession of the of the school. So you'd want to be bloody careful, but also I wouldn't be too happy having yeah. that sitting on my bedside table. And what was, what did they ransom it for? A hundred pounds. A hundred pounds off UCL. <laughs> Do you know, that's that's yep. I like that. I'm a big fan of them doing that. Yeah. So in today's to hundred pounds in today's money for the Australian listeners would be like hundred and eighty five dollars. Yeah. Going back to nineteen seventy five. It's not an insignificant amount of money, but it's not you're not gonna change the world. Yeah, I mean, in my head, it doesn't seem that much, but that's because that's £100 now. But, like, that would be quite a lot back then, probably. But still quite sort of a... Just more of a cheeky ransom rather than something like £100,000. They're not genuinely doing this. Yes. Oh, it's, definitely not. Also, you wouldn't want to keep it's it for too long, would you? I bet it smells weird. I don't think UCL would have paid £100,000. No, I think it would be so deteriorated now that it wouldn't smell like much so when did know, they get rid of, of the when did because in any of these pictures there's no head on a in a vase when did they get rid of that yeah well <laughs> I think they got rid of it because people were stealing it i would not be surprised if they did it after 1975 but i reckon when they would have an event they would just bring the head back out now it lives in a vault at ucl under like climate con- controlled conditions I've definitely seen lots of... I thought the head was still in there when I picked this object. I've seen lots of photos where it sits at his, at his beside his legs. So I think they must have been putting it in and out a little bit, at least to get the photos. Interesting. I, I, I like this statement as well, actually. Uh, it's going to be... <laughs> you said you'd give me an easy one, but it's definitely... I can't pick between these first two. They are all pretty ridiculous. I like this statement as well because I, I quite like... I'm not a person... Pro- who's predisposed to civil disobedience. This one is like, yeah. This, this is, one's kind of funny. And it's when it's like a bunch of students and it's it's less sort of civil disobedience, it's just sort of like it, random stuff, isn't it? It was for a charity as well. They didn't, they didn't want the money. How was it? What, what was the charity? Uh, it was a homelessness charity. Oh, then there you go. I'm all for it then. Steal the whole body if you can get more for it. If you can keep a dead body safe and warm in a box surely you can give homeless people some shelter yeah i also think that like if you put something like this in a university environment where there's just a bunch of immature people they're going to mess around with it i mean it's a you're asking for trouble someone's going to put an arsenal scarf around that aren't they (laughs) sadly yeah right statement three he attends board meetings um does he talk much doesn't doesn't talk a lot. Generally, um, mm. slightly more receptive to hearing the ideas of others since his death. But I did read that he he has been useful when the votes have been tied. What? <laughs> they said that he tends towards progressive politics even still. That's pretty funny. I, I like to think that yeah. someone's like raising his arm on a string. So I all thought I knew. Uh, I thought that it would be taking the box in. They just take the body in, so he just sits in a chair. So imagine walking into a meeting and seeing that. Oh God! What? So, so it's just the body sat on a chair in this board meeting. Yeah. 
Just next to like next to people. He's not in the corner. Oh, I imagine if you were like the second person to turn up and you like had to make small talk. <sighs> yeah. Oh, to be honest, I've been to I've been to meetings and seminars like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I've, I would rather have a chat to Jeremy. That's also key to the university experience as well as nicking heads, awkward <laughs> conversations. So does he does he still attend them, or is this like so? Is this back when it just after he was in the box, or is this still a common occurrence? There's a wide ranging spectrum of thoughts on how often it is. There's a myth that somehow got around that he goes to every board meeting, which is not true. There's he probably went to the hundred and. 50th anniversary uh, meeting, but there was one in 2013 that he went to, definitely. Oh, I feel like they might have done it just because the rumour was there. Yeah, it's like a, so like like, a self-fulfilling well, prophecy where they're just like, we've heard about it so much that we'll, we'll get him out for this one. Yeah, all these people are coming from all over the world to see this body, and then they're like, oh, I only came because he goes to the board meeting, so they're like, can we just bring him into one? <laughs> and then we'll, then we'll know. I have, a, I have a, a, a bit of a tangent question, but it's called an auto-icon. Are there other auto-icons? Yep. I guess so. I think he called it auto-icon at the time, so maybe that's why this one's called that, but it's not the most popular term. I, don't, I can't think of anyone else who's had this done. Yeah. Can you? No, I, I mean, I, no, I don't think. But, I mean, you can imagine that, like, if he's in these big philosophical circles with all these atheists or, like, there's lots of people with similar thought, you kind of hope that someone's like, yeah, I like the sound of that. Yeah, me Sadly too. Sadly not his wife. Yeah, yeah. Can I, can I do that? I've just searched auto-icon and he is the only person to come up <laughs> Along with a lot of icons for cars from American dealerships. <laughs> Americans are so literal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. <laughs> Auto icon. Yeah, this is, there's 10 icons of cars. <laughs> That's fair. God help us. Yeah, so I can't confirm there are any others. and he, But he knew of the term, so maybe it, maybe it was more popular at a different time yeah. in the history that has intervened. I like all these statements, but... I think you underestimate how easy this is going to be. Well, I would like to level up the seriousness and significance of your guess. If you get it right, I'm going to make myself an incredibly strong martini for the second recording because I haven't had anything nice all weekend. If you get it wrong, I'm going to have chamomile tea. (laughs) Do you think my 6.3 mood rating is going to go up (laughs) with a chamomile tea, John? I think it's going to become distinctly stagnant. (laughs) Distinctly stagnant. Yes, what a description. Don't do it to me, John. Don't do it to me. Right, just explain where where my head's at then. Okay, I'd like to hear where your head's at. So I'm immediately leaning towards the wife one being a lie. And I can explain why. But I think that the box is small. I think he's probably, he sounds very self-centred. Maybe he just doesn't really care about his wife being in there with him. He wants to attend all these board meetings. He wants to be with his friends. I think he's thinking about himself when he's thinking about that. I don't think he necessarily cares about his wife. Enough to have her in a box. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. Morgan just made a sad face at me. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Statement 
<laughs> she's looking across the room. You're telling me that if you decided to go in a box <laughs> for the rest of the existence of your physical matter, you wouldn't want me in there too. But is that what you're telling me, John? I just think, or maybe he cares about his wife so much he's not putting her through that. There we go. That's a nice way of putting that. <laughs> I'm leaning towards the former. <laughs> yeah. So much. Um, but like, I think I think this is very much something you do because you want to do it. I don't think he's going to force it on anyone else. It's all about him. Statement two, I think students get up to that kind of stuff. And I'm going to use an anecdote from something else here. But there, there used to be Good. a tunnel that led between the University of Edinburgh and the National Museum of Scotland. And they had to brick it up because loads of students used to break in to the National Museum after hours and mess with everything. That's, this is just the same kind of activity. There was a tunnel and they had to brick it up instead of just putting a gate on it. Yeah, because it just led through to the university. So people just kept coming in. And Dear like, God. St- students would just get drunk in the museum. That's sad, isn't it? <laughs> it's hilarious. Imagine how, much fu- imagine how much fun that would be, though. Oh, it would be amazing. This is like years and years. This is like a lot earlier than 1975. But I don't think student behaviour yeah, this is, was at a time. I don't think student behaviour has matured very much. No, oh, no, not at all. Oh, that's I, I like that, but I'm also sad they had to feel the tunneling. Yeah. Um, so I just think that that one's true, probably because because it's just funny. And then I, in the back of my mind, feel like when I learned about Jeremy Bentham, I heard about him attending seminars. So that must just be the award meetings that I've just heard passed down slightly differently. So I feel like I've already heard that one before. That one feels true. Yeah. So I'm going to be really annoyed if that is false. So it's between one and two. And in my head, I'm leaning towards statement one being the lie. With good rationale too. Are you now going to put the kettle on or... (laughs) (laughs) Enter sound effects here. Either the beautiful, rhythmic, romantic stirring of a dry martini. Or just the sad... Aggressive whistle of a kettle. (laughs) <laughs> are you locking in number one i'm locking in number one locking in you got it johnny you got one I got it come on absolutely nailed it i don't know about your logic because <laughs> obviously it was completely made up and did he even have a wife he didn't have a wife no god no he didn't have a wife never married no no indication of partnership of any kind well i feel a bit harsh now that i completely Slandered him and said that he didn't care at all. <laughs> I'm not sure he cared. I'm not sure he cared. He went to Oxford to study law when he was 12. Really? Bloody hell. Yeah. But he identified sexism as an 11-year-old to be such of such a grievance to him that that is what he caused his commitment to becoming a reformist. So definitely had high regard for the plight of women, just didn't marry any of them. <laughs> I dare say the women of the time are okay with that. So probably what would have been the centrepiece of his idea was his Panopticon prison. And the idea was that because the prisons of the time were basically centred around the idea of hard labour. Yeah. And his idea was to have observation be the fundamental point. So the idea was to have 
a bunch of rooms, a bunch of cells centred around a viewing point with spy holes and you give the prisoners a very, very elaborate set of rules that they are to follow and they feel like they can be watched at any time and because they could be being watched at all times, they feel like and act like they are being watched at all times. So you don't need violence as a remedy for problems. You just have threat of consequences this was not trialed in england for a few reasons yeah. he was very sad about it they they did trial it in australia actually in tasmania at the penal colony in port arthur and <laughs> turns out being on your own for 24 hours a day and being in a dark damp concrete cell for 23 hours a day results in madness yeah I and think you... the panopticon caused a lot more problems than it was going to solve I think when you do that, then the sort of the general terrible conditions you're in, you don't care if you're being watched and you do something badly. For a long time, they spent ages presuming that humans were rational. What T- turns out, no. I think we are getting away from the fact that this is this is a man who decided that he should be in a box, though. So. Uh... <laughs> I don't want the box to undermine any of the work that he did. <laughs> I'd like his theories to undermine any of the work he did. And I'll tell you one thing, John. We're talking about yeah. <laughs> There we go, yeah. I think we should say, like, we have done some practice ones where I have just lost miserably. Uh, so in case this is, like, the one that's released or whatever. <laughs>